0: to episode 54 of Did You Bring the Hummus podcast. I'm Kimberly, your host, and I'm super excited to be here with you today. Did You Bring the Hummus is a podcast to help you go vegan. This season, I'm sharing new episodes every Monday discussing all things vegan. Most importantly, we'll talk about how to embrace this meaningful decision with fervor and fun. Episodes post every Monday on your favorite podcast app. Before we get started, I have one very important question for you. Did You Bring the Hummus? Who wants to beta test a four-week group program with me? I know what I needed when I was exploring veganism, but is that what you need? Send me an email at didyoubringthehummus@gmail.com at gmail.com with I'm in in the subject line. In the email itself, just let me know which time zone you're in. I'll reach out with the details to all who sent an email by 11.59pm Eastern today, July 3rd. Once you have the details, you can decide if you want to participate. This is the final episode of Season 3. But don't worry, I'll be back later this year with an exciting season four. Today, I am joined by food inclusivity mentor and expert Heather Landex. Heather has worked in hospitality, restaurants, and food businesses for 20 years, qualified in environmental health, and specialized in food safety for 10 years. She has advised and trained thousands of food professionals in several countries, auditing and inspecting restaurants and hotels. The highlights of her career include the 2012 Olympics, Michelin-starred restaurants, and some of the world's biggest franchises. Vegan since early 2019 and around six months later suffered a spontaneous, serious allergic reaction in a hotel on a work trip. Let's just say Heather has naturally specialized in food inclusivity. Most businesses are already compliant in food safety sense, but they do not recognize how many people with dietary preferences are their potential customers and that they are turning them away. There's a 20 to 40 percent population left out of eating out. Heather mentors food and hospitality professionals to attract and serve more customers, reduce risk and liability, and ultimately earn more money. In addition to a great conversation on food allergens and how patrons can be safe when dining out, as well as efforts restaurants and hotels can make to be more inclusive, Heather and I also discuss our mutual love for public speaking and Toastmasters, which we both believe has the ability to help make the vegan movement louder and more effective. Hey Heather, thanks for joining me. Hi, it's lovely to see you again lovely to see you too. I'm so excited for this conversation. The work that you do is so interesting and so important and I can't wait to get to that. But before we get to it, I'd love to hear about your vegan journey.
1: Yeah, I I sort of change this story every time I bring it up. Um, I don't actually know when it started. I always say I was a closet vegan Mm. um, because when I was about 14, I tried to be a vegetarian and I was sabotage. (laughs) It wasn't allowed. Um, (laughs) And it took, it took marrying a vegetarian probably, but in between, I suppose my career started out in biology, and I was always that squeamish person. We had to do like things where you chop up things from the slaughterhouse, and I couldn't mm. I couldn't stomach that at all. Um, but I did eventually qualify to be a conservationist. So I went and did lots of field work in Australia. I was a possum tracker and a stingray tagger. But it's actually pretty gruesome. Mm. <laughs> it should have it should have been. I didn't know what veganism was, so I didn't really ever join the dots so I retrained as a dive master a scuba diver oh. and I did that in the tourism industry not for very long because it, it gets a bit tedious mm. <laughs> I actually want to go and you know visit all the dive sites and you know a lot of exploration but actually end up just taking people on the same route all the time and mm. the practicalities are a bit dull <laughs> but I'm a qualified dive master but the reason I wanted that qualification was to be the passive marine surveyor so I could go and count fish or you know check oh, out okay. coral reefs and stuff although they're pretty much dying off now the coral reefs and so that's where the sting t- stingray tagging came in but um, so I was working with PhD students as their skivvy <laughs> basically <laughs> <laughs> but I had to leave because I was in Australia and New Zealand I ran out of visa options uh, and then I moved back to the UK and it's not the same scuba diving in the oh, UK yeah. if you compare it to the because I, I dived like all around New, New Zealand and Australia I had a bit of a an obsession and then I guess it took having children and marrying a vegetarian to really experiment so I was I'd probably say I was pretty good flexitarian and i when I say flexitarian I mean between vegetarian and vegan okay. not not <laughs> vegan and oh I'm just going to be a meat eater which I hear a lot of that um <laughs> but the I guess the pivotal point was I was trying to be vegan, and I kept failing, mm-hmm. until my best friend, who is also a vegan and pretty straight-talking, was like, but "You're a hypocrite," because I was whinging about cows because I'd been a breastfeeding mother and like, "Oh, I sympathise with the cows," like da da da, and then I tried to give up just dairy, and it didn't didn't work out because I wasn't all in, mm-hmm. and so I eventually just said, "I am a hypocrite. I can't tolerate this." this frustration anymore. <laughs> and um I had a so I went to my parents' house and hosted my daughter's birthday party. And I hosted it fully vegan for everybody and everyone ate it. Except my parents sabotaged it. They both had a cheese sandwich. <laughs> Some sort of rebellion. <laughs> but no one else no one else even realized it was vegan actually. Yeah. And because it it was a uh, we'll talk about hummus later, but there was mm-hmm. a really good hummus. But my friend My friend who explained that I was a hypocrite and wouldn't let me like explain my way out of it um, had to take me to a supermarket and show me how to shop basically and and how to make a cake that didn't involve eggs. And Mm -hmm. it went from there and it was quite hard and slow to shop and things, but I don't think I ever doubted, doubted the decision from there. Mm -hmm. I guess I got better at being vegan as I Google suddenly discovered that I was into this stuff and then you get you get shown all the things and then you know like then I was more obsessed with e-numbers and all these colorings and things the things that you don't realize aren't vegan (laughs) so that's my vegan journey except about six months later I then had a severe allergy so then I had a whole new awakening about what's in food and the allergy side of things isn't so vegan doesn't mean anything about allergies and I was like but but I'm vegan. How could I have a milk allergy? Uh. So that, that's the whole journey of veganism and how I ended up in food inclusivity as well.
0: Mm, that's so interesting. I, I see the pattern with your parents, how huh? they sabotaged <laughs> when you were a teenager and then they finally have an opportunity to really support this
1: choice you've made. And they were like, nope, Heather, not this time. <laughs> oh, my dad is such, such an auntie. But my mum my sometimes says she's vegan in restaurants and my husband's vegetarian although if you look at his diet I have a good influencer Um, (laughs) but we went to a restaurant she said oh I want to see the vegan menu and we were so horrified because then they didn't take me or my husband seriously because she ordered the salmon and it's she's she's not vegan most of the time or vegetarian she says and you know vegan friendly she's trying to be a good mum and she like cooks some things for me sometimes they usually don't taste much (laughs) she always puts chili or curry in I don't think she. I better not let her listen to this. <laughs> but I like you know. I had to explain to her what a flexitarian is. But actually, she's a when she's on holiday, she's a typical eater. If anything, she gets a bit extra meaty. She's she's avoiding cholesterol is mm. why she doesn't like animal products. So she tries to avoid cheese and the red meats. And I'm like, that is not vegan mother. <laughs> <laughs> You're embarrassing me. <laughs> But she does she does seem to be more aware of things. But she did, she also bought me some chocolate once that was stamped vegan. And then she's like, but on the back it says may contain milk and egg. And I was like, what do you think I do for a living? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Let's talk about this label, mom. <laughs> you know, I love that you bring this up though, because it really is a learning process. And we're on this journey where like, we don't live in a vegan world. So these things, unless we have a vegan in our life, like you did to show us things, or in, in my case, I just, I had to keep reading books and figure stuff out and live on pasta and cheese when I went vegetarian, because I didn't know how to cook. And I didn't know what to eat because I didn't like vegetables back then. Like we, we have to, we have to learn. And so even if someone listening is kind of like, your mom and they're like, Oh yeah, like I'll check out the vegan menu, but I'm probably going to order the salmon anyway. Like know that it can still be done. Like we're all on a journey. We get here through many different paths. And if veganism is something that interests you, like it doesn't matter where you're starting from, like you can get there. And if you have an allergy, this is definitely the episode to listen to. Well so let's let's get it because you mentioned that already that you know you found out you have this milk allergy and, and you're a food inclusivity expert. Tell me what does that mean and and how does how does it work? Well, basically, food inclusivity
1: There's lots of people that end up vegan because of an intolerance to meat, by the way, which is something that people don't know, or hmm. milk intolerance, so they end up naturally. I guess it's the world of Google and the social dilemma that (laughs) I want something without dairy, so I must be vegan, you know, like Google's telling them all the things. (laughs) But food inclusivity is about having a policy where you include people that are normally excluded, like people with dietary preferences. It happens to the vegan, so you can probably empathize completely. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of misunderstanding about terms and veganism. And does that mean you're dairy free? And there's a lot of things that the general person doesn't get it at all they don't even get that a food allergy could kill you mm-hmm. they don't get how anxious people get and a lot of restaurants and places they basically have this disclaimer that says if you have a food allergy get lost we have everything in everything <laughs> <Yep>. our kitchen's <laughs> open we just you know we can't serve you and it's it, in situations it's not a restaurant like school or a workplace or any place that's not home mm-hmm. it's really damaging for people it causes a lot of inequalities people are left out and humiliated and yeah. there's a lot of teasing and bullying in children yeah. um but it wasn't until because I was already a food inspector so I was like going around hotels and restaurants as in a private sector I was also a bit too soft to prosecute people <laughs> I have too much empathy for <laughs> even humans like I can't, I can't <laughs> harm them <laughs> so I went to the private sector where you sort of invited in by the big you know the big boss who invites you in um and I wasn't really allowed to speak about veganism, especially if they were getting the menu wrong. Mm. Um, that wasn't part of my scope because as an auditor, you sort of go through. It's a bit like going through a checklist, but a bit more uh, savvy than that um, and like validating things. Uh, but they quite often would say, if I ask them about the vegan option, is it safe for someone with milk allergy? which is the most common most deadly food allergy especially in the UK oh, no. that they had the most deaths from milk hmm. even milk contamination now is a a problem yeah. and it's also the most common thing to be found in vegan food is milk or egg yeah. so they were, they were like yeah, it's a vegan option of course it's milk free like milk free or non dairy are two different things you do not serve this to someone you you mm-hmm. will potentially kill them Yikes. if not you're called there's so many people with intolerance like i've I found out i have milk intolerance not the anaphylactic type of allergy but i didn't know that originally mm. um so that's sort of my pet nightmare is like don't damage the vegan cause yeah just because you've not understood about allergy friendliness that's mm-hmm. sort of my like <laughs> repeated nightmare i suppose i suppose <laughs> that sort of drives me quite a lot because it it happened to me i probably got milk in my food mm-hmm. um and shellfish um but I think with, with food inclusivity, it's about being considerate to other people. Yeah. So I think like vegan businesses would get this easily. They're just scared of the law because the law is quite frightening. Because mm. if you give someone an allergic reaction, basically you've proven that you were negligent. Oh, But okay. technically, they're accepting a risk. And if you have to leave the house with a severe allergy or multiple severe food preferences and dietary preferences and even allergies to things that are not food... <laughs> You, you actually take a risk when you leave the house, especially if you go to school with children that don't have good hygiene. And mm. um, so this aspect of food safety is sort of neglected in the food safety sense. It's just black and white, like you either kill them or you don't, you know. <laughs> so they have this disclaimer <laughs> because they're scared when actually yeah. they, I think the individual generally has good intentions and they want to serve and have good customer service. Some food businesses are just there for the money, but mm-hmm. it earns you more money if you serve people well and can serve more food. Yeah. So a a good way of describing food inclusivity, how it works in a business case, Mm. is that say you have the vegan in the middle. (laughs) If the vegan can't eat, they probably persuade the whole group not to eat there because one person in the party can't eat anything. Probably not even the drinks. Sometimes they won't even tell you what's in the drinks. Oh, my gosh. The drinks are quite often neglected. Like they might have a menu with some icons. Mm -hmm. They've forgotten about the drinks, especially if it's like cocktails and things. Mm. Or coffees. Mm. Huh. So so if you thought, think about, you know, like conferences and meeting rooms, they might have some coffee and biscuits and milk, mm-hmm. but have they considered that they might need oat milk and some vegan cookies? Because if you eliminate quite a few, the allergens are animal products, so that's mm. actually a really inclusive option, but don't cover everything in gluten. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've had this discussion before like just give me all the gluten just I'm the vegan give me all the gluten gluten. (laughs) people seem to give any dietary preference it must be gluten-free and vegan yeah no it's just a very inclusive option to be gluten-free and vegan but it has to be vegan in the allergy friendly sense to be Mm -hmm. inclusive because if it's still Burger King had a case where they got sued or attempted it Mm. wasn't it wasn't successful because a vegan said they had a false advertising campaign because they'd said zero percent meat in the uh, Impossible Whopper, uh-huh. um, but in the t- small terms and conditions, not on any of the advertising posters or anywhere, but on the terms and conditions inside the store, <laughs> it or says no if you're looking. vegan, <laughs> yeah, if you're vegan, you can have a microwave burger. Take off the cheese. Take off the mayo. So it's mm. it's not even plant based yeah it's actually not even vegetarian sometimes it has Hmm. so the meaning of plant-based isn't the same as vegan right but in the uk people think it is so it's like the americans have changed the meaning but then even sweden and ikea i don't know if you've if you're a big fan of this furniture store (laughs) i always think it's for students but actually i still shop there (laughs) but they now have a plant-based swedish meatball Mm -hmm. a vegan swedish meatball and a meat Swedish meatball and the plant-based one is supposed to imitate the meat one so all of the sides and the gravy are actually not vegetarian oh wow so the vegan you have to ask for the vegan option if you're vegan if you want plant-based just the meatballs then you get the standard sides
0: Hmm. that's so interesting right because so many people would think now if I saw plant-based vegan or meat I would I would choose the vegan one without even batting an eye. But if I were, that's me specifically, but I think if I were a person who was like, oh, I really like to eat more plants or kind of exploring this idea, I think I would assume that plant-based would mean that there would be no animals in it. But I think what people are surprised to find out is that plant-based for the most part, literally means the base, like based in plants, like the basis of your meal is plants. Yeah, but it doesn't necessarily mean that there's no animal products in it. And I think people are really surprised when they find that out. It's quite <laughs> modern
1: as well, since they've had these fake meats. It's been like five years or something that mm-hmm. they it means take the meat out and put fake meat in. It doesn't even yeah. mean meatless. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. It might still have bacon in it. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's just they're taking the burger out and put, and because they want the prestige of the impossible or the beyond mm-hmm. burger, they're they're advertising that. But that's yeah. the plant based part of the burger, and the burger might still have egg on it or, yeah. And I I I got very confused trying to order during the pandemic because one mm-hmm. of these places has takeaway. But if you take off all of the animal products and put on the vegan products it was actually twice the price yep <laughs> so I was like Why oh, i will not get to order with you and I told them about it and they're like we don't know how to fix our system <laughs> ah. and you were like I can help you. yeah they <laughs> couldn't substitute and even if you substitute there's a premium
0: hmm.
1: and so that if you wanted a vegan burger with you know vegan cheese on it was really expensive I was oh like yeah I just I'll just have something else <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> It's a shame because that place they do try hard. They had three different types of plant based burger. Oh, wow. And not that's... just fake meat, but like a pea one and a bean one. And a... hmm. one was a bit like potato, though. That's very weird. Oh, that's a interesting. No hummus, though. Mm. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so I basically naturally evolved in my physical body into a food <laughs> inclusivity <mentor. laughs> and now I'm allergic to shellfish and it's actually related to being allergic to insects, which I never knew. Oh. Um, yeah. It's like a, it's a special type of cross reactivity. There's a similar protein in the shell of insects that's also in the shell of shellfish. Hmm. Um, so I'm actually, you know, my body rejects animal products now. Yeah. I think it, it literally <laughs> <laughs> throws them out again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like don't even try it it's coming right back out <laughs> yeah and I, I look back on my life and I'm like oh I probably always did have a problem with milk oh that explains why I didn't like milk as a child and I think sometimes the aversions because mm-hmm. people might have a physical reaction to something even it's a psychological reason I think mm-hmm. sometimes it's not it's just intolerances or mild allergies because yes. children don't have the the filter to fit in or oh I should be able to eat this or this is healthy or this you know mm-hmm. none of that's there they just go oh, I don't like this it makes my mouth burn yeah or, uh, I have that with beetroot and I think it's just an incidence at school and it's please. it's like it reminds me of the incidence so it tastes just like you never put beetroot in hummus please no <laughs> <laughs> that's my worst least favorite kind because it just it, it's like a very subtle taste and smell mm-hmm. but it penetrates everything
0: yeah. Yeah, that's true. I never liked milk. Like as a kid I never drank glasses of milk. That wasn't my thing. I would put just enough in my cereal for it to be like wet. As I as I got to be a teenager, my parents were concerned that I was on drugs because every morning I would get up and I got up like early for school because there were four of us between my parents, me and my brother getting ready for school, getting ready for work, one shower. So we all had to, you know, get up and whatever. And I got up early and I blamed it on that for so long. Oh, my body doesn't like to be up early, but I would get up early and my stomach would hurt so much. And I would, I would have, you know, I'd have diarrhea <laughs> and, and I would just be like downing Pepto-Bismol. And my parents were like, well, are you addicted to Pepto-Bismol? Like, is this a, some kind of like drug addiction we don't know about? And I was like, no, my stomach just hurts. And then I would notice that it wasn't just in the morning and, and I'd be like, oh, you know, food just upsets my stomach or I'd blame it on, like, I'd have a salad with whatever, you know, pizza or something I was eating and be like, oh, the onions or the lettuce upsetting my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> and it would be, I always had to make sure I was near a bathroom and, and because I never knew when an attack was coming and it took me until, and then like being vegetarian, it was like, everybody knew Kimberly's stomach is always messed up and like, she's got to be near a bathroom and it would ruin a lot of. It's not a you know, nice no, reputation. No. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, I was like dating and I'm like, have to explain like, Oh, my stomach just always hurts. And did not even think about it. And then finally went vegan and it just stopped. (laughs) So this whole time it was the milk and the cheese. And, and, uh, I had gone to a doctor, a gastroenterologist who like in my late twenties, was like, I need you to help me figure this out. And he did not do a lactose intolerance test. And I found out from other people, like, they can just ask you questions and determine, like, if you have IBS. Um, But he didn't even do that. He did, like, an endoscopy and a colonoscopy. (laughs) And he was like, oh, you don't have celiac. Okay, cool. They can do a test for that as
1: well without going in there. Yeah,
0: I guess he really just wanted that money from the insurance company, but, but, but yeah, so all of this stuff and he's like, you don't have celiac. That's the best I got out of him, which is awesome because I do love me some gluten and, uh, but, but yeah, like never, never even suggested, like, do you eat a lot of dairy or you drink a lot of milk? Like, and, and what an unfortunate
1: thing. I think that. I had a full on addiction to cheese. And oh, there is actually a chemical in cheese that's yeah. a bit a bit like heroin. hmm <laughs> <laughs> yeah, But that addictive, you know, like sugar is addictive. Oh yeah. Cheese cheese is addictive. I used to be a cheese muncher. I, I, same as you, I used to avoid breakfast. I used mm-hmm. to have a banana. I did start fainting when I was a teen though. So oh. I was sort of forced to eat breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. people, are, it's taboo. That's why people don't talk about it. It's, it's so common for people to avoid milk. It's like one in five people. Mm-hmm. But that might be for a hunch they have about their IBS. Right. Which is quite commonly misdiagnosed because <laughs> that's basically a, a label for some symptoms, which mm. funnily enough is just like milk intolerance. But I'm not lactose intolerant because I have the gene to produce lactase. Okay. But obviously, I've been avoiding milk for years. I'm not producing it on the same level as an infant that's breastfeeding because that's what it's for. Mm-hmm. So naturally, as people avoid milk, they become lactose intolerants unless, unless they start building it up again, which obviously I'm not going to do. But I can't be tested because I'm not going to eat milk to be tested. <laughs> but the theory is I'm milk intolerant, but it's severe. And it's, it's not just diarrhea. It's like explosive fainting. and Oh, gosh. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to look after my children if I was caught out. And I have been like laying on the bathroom floor with my pants down and a two-year-old walks in. And so that's sort of the moment for me when I'm like, come on, you just got to stop saying it's uncomfortable. So the NHS in the UK, they say uncomfortable for lactose intolerance. You're like, well, it's more than uncomfortable. Yeah. It's like being stabbed. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I like my, my intestines, I would, I could
0: feel them like, like it was just, and and it, I would get hot
1: and like sweaty and it's just there's a lot of things that about about like anxiety as well because anxiety can cause similar symptoms where mm. the, you know the gut doesn't work and things like that and things that digest properly but is it anxiety because they've got an allergy because some of the symptoms of allergy is like hives mm. and thing and and so when I had a severe allergy attack and it was you know they tested my blood I'd had a severe allergy to something that they then didn't test which was a bit stupid of them <laughs> but I, it, so they they can tell it's an allergy but at the time they they thought I was having a panic attack oh. because basically I could breathe and I had gone like numb around the face and it could be caused by hyperventilation mm. because all of everything was itching <laughs> yeah. like including including my airway um, and so now I have a asthma diagnosis, but it's so mild, I don't mention it to anyone. Like on an airplane, I don't need an EpiPen or any of that. Mm-hmm. So if I mentioned that I had a shellfish allergy or a milk allergy, the amount of grief I'd get for, <laughs> I just don't have to eat it. You know, I'd right. just take my own food. It's not worth mentioning it. But the number of people that have allergies and just don't mention it, if you ask, so if they ask the UK population, you know, quite a good few million there. <laughs> It's it's something like 20% of people say they have a food sensitivity themselves. Mm. Like it's like it could be a mild allergy or an intolerance. But that's like so many people. Yeah. Huh. It's a bit bad for business if you don't even think about these things. <laughs> right. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That going back to the disclaimer that you mentioned where it's like, sorry, everything's cross-contaminated, can't do anything about it. They're really alienating so many people and, and a lot of people who probably would really love what they're serving and would be loyal, regular customers. It, it really, the more inclusive we can be, the more people we can serve. It's like, it's like when you mentioned the group of people going out and there's the one vegan who's like, sorry, I can't eat anything at this place. So everyone goes where they can find something people who still consume animals can eat anywhere. They can eat, you know, eating a vegan dish if they end up at a vegan restaurant is not going to end things for them. They'll be fine. But vegans and people with allergies can't just eat anywhere. And so the, the more we can
1: accommodate that,
0: the better off we, can, we all are.
1: And someone who's avoiding the animal products except for fish, Mm -hmm. like that's a really common one they can have the vegan option with fish you know like you can you can add it to right rather you can't take it out it's the same with allergies you can have something that you know you've created and it's suitable for someone with milk allergy and then you add whatever you like to it separately and just Mm -hmm. keep that base protected right and so having this clean vegan option which basically is the allergy friendly only for the animal products not Mm gluten-free although it should could be you know if it's vegetables (laughs) um It's it's like they've lost their creativity. Like a lot of chefs have so much power, but they're too scared to deviate from the norm because Mm -hmm. of these allergy disclaimers. And really, what they're protecting against with the disclaimer is a freak accident. Yeah, but but it's like they're using it so they don't have to bother. So they're not Mm -hmm. even going to attempt to prepare something separately. They're not going to even consider it or think about it. But if you give someone notice, like on our website, we say if you want. Dietary Preferences, you need to call us a few days before so we can have prepared something in advance so you don't interrupt our service. Right. That's amazing. You might get a a wedding party, a restaurant, or even hotels. The whole hotel could be booked with one party or one one conference. Mm -hmm. If you take the effort of the catering off the event organizer, you get the gig. Yeah. So there's a big money in it.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. So when you work with restaurants, how do you like, what's the the process and what is the reaction that you find as you kind of demonstrate to them how ineffective that disclaimer really is and how, where they really can make changes? Like what, what's kind of the, the reaction that you find it, that you're getting well, from them? Usually
1: they come to me because there's been a problem. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes it's their basic food safety um, mm-hmm. is not right. They haven't trained their staff, but quite often they have some blanket disclaimer that a hospitality consultant has copied from a legal website and stuck on the bottom of the menu and that is it. So mm. the disclaimer says, please ask the manager and the manager hasn't got a clue about allergies
0: yeah. or
1: or the risk or the, if it's a vegan restaurant, they just think everything's vegan here, you'll be... You'll be fine. You're, you're, you're good. And then they don't realize okay. some of their products have disclaimers on the product mm. because it's being manufactured in a place, especially the dairy products. You know, the non-dairy products are probably being made by the dairy company, mm-hmm. <laughs> or the, especially with meats and that kind of contamination. There are people that are allergic. It's called alpha-gal. There are people that are allergic to red meat. Hmm. it comes from having tick bites so that's a oh, yeah at least at least that. that's a mechanism we know why people get allergies right we can see that oh you've been bitten by something and your body's reacted and if you've been mm-hmm. bitten twice it reacts more you know oh, like wow. that yeah it's very serious you get anaphylaxis hmm. and uh, they some of them can't even have like meat cooked near them that so mm. becomes an air so that's really like yeah don't leave the house type of scary right um and I'm sure that's hard for the family to deal with because they become allergic. It's not something they were born with, yeah. but they don't know why people are allergic. That's also really scary. Yeah. But in a yeah. restaurant situation, that's where I usually start is, have you got food safety? Are you going to get prosecuted? <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a disclaimer that is appropriate or really? is it nonsense? Because people will just ignore it if it's nonsense. Yeah. If it's a vegan restaurant, is it actually vegan? Like is the contamination in their ingredients if they make everything from scratch i'm like advertise the shit out of this like you're not you're not advertising to your full market so say 20 20 of vegan food goes to vegans the other 80 percent is people that want the vegan option for the reasons
0: mm-hmm.
1: maybe the flexitarians that seems to be the mindset of the big corporations like we're aiming at the flexitarians like if you aim for the vegan the flexitarians <laughs> can still eat that That's so right. a lot of it a lot of it's training especially in the allergy understanding. But also, I probably have to scare them a little bit mm, I <laughs> bet. To, yeah. to understand the significance of allergies. But then, so you basically train the staff, but there's like a training for the supervising or managing staff and then training for the average waiter, because all they really need to be able to do is point you in the direction of the information. Mm-hmm. They don't, the, A lot of the trouble with people who waiter or serve in bars or any of that is that they're trying to do the customer service thing. So they'll have a guess right. and that's really not helpful. Yeah. And, uh, and they're the face of the company. They might show absolute incompetence when actually the chef is very good, yeah. but the chef's, the chef's hidden behind this disclaimer. So it's really not <laughs> clear who, who is competent and who isn't. So I try to pick out what they are capable of and what they should legitimately disclaim and explain why they're disclaiming it because it's actually very risky. And yeah. um, That's helpful. But my, the biggest piece is probably the marketing, because do you realize what you can get out of this effort? Because a lot of the chefs will be like rolling their eyes going, oh, the vegans, are oh, the people with allergies, oh, the <laughs> so the disrupt service legitimately. If they're in a busy service, they probably don't have any creative brain juices left. Right. um And it's probably not a pleasure because they're basically going to give you some steamed broccoli <laughs> mm-hmm. rather than. you know some chefs need to learn how to cook vegetables like yes oh gosh that is part of their craft (laughs) and they need it they need it more and more with time but the trouble is as well a lot of um, restaurants like the big chain restaurants they don't actually make anything on site Hmm. so it's all mass produced and just it's not reheated but regenerated when it (laughs) it arrives (laughs) recreated again um but I've been places where they say that this is the vegan option and they're like oh we don't know if we put butter on it or not you're like well just don't put butter on it then then we yeah. can be sure be sure and like <laughs> oh but the packaging and he says vegetarian that that's one of my pet peeves so I do have this hotel chain I like but they've started since probably the last year mm-hmm. instead of having vegan on things they've just started writing vegetarian and then you'd have to ask and then the waiter's like it just says vegetarian we don't know and you're like the reason they're doing that is because they're scared of people with milk allergy. Uh-huh. So the vegan option goes in the gluten-free section <laughs> with the lactose free which so uh, that kind of putting lactose free next to gluten free, mm-hmm. that's misleading for people because they'll think it's milk free. So yeah. these sort of arrangements of ways, a lot of a lot of allergy management is separation. Mm. So if they have buffets, there's a technique for how do people order and get their own individual plate that's not been on the buffet because other customers can be Really gross. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Can something be made vegan? Like, can it be made without the animal product? Can something be made gluten-free? Like, you exchange the bread for gluten-free, and they can even do that and add add the extra cost because gluten-free bread is more expensive. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's astonishing, the price increase. It really can be. (laughs) Yeah. I know a lot of the coffee chains now, at least in Europe, and especially in the UK, have stopped charging now extra for... For the animal products that's, that's nice. quite that's quite good yeah then you can as the customer you can sort of train them as well mm-hmm. <laughs> but i know that there's costa coffee it's in a few countries but it's it's really common in the it's a coffee chain in the uk and they changed their oat milk so it's no longer friendly for people with celiac disease uh-huh. and there was a like outcry from the community because that's probably 5% people or something have some sort of gluten and intolerance mm-hmm. all the way to severe celiac disease. Yeah. And now they can't go there because they can't actually have anything from there. You know? they, yeah. can have, they can't have the soya now because there's gluten on the coffee machine. So they've just excluded a whole percentage of the population. I hope that has serious consequences. I hope they get best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or change their milk bank. or that mm-hmm. would be the best outcome. Right. So that's the kind of thing I look at, the information available to people, especially in advance, like on websites, how they can explain it in a way that's human rather than mm-hmm. technical, get lost, <laughs> everything's in everything, <laughs> yeah. Um, and how to train their staff with, usually I would train um, people serving just to forward them to the information and there's a process for how the chef gets that information and then you're dealing with the chef really via mm-hmm. the or if there's another service they could use to pre-order. So it's a little bit like tweaking a system. Mm-hmm. It's like veganizing something. It's just yeah. got multi-factors. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was
0: just thinking about going back to when you had said that people are like, well, this is a vegan restaurant. Everything should be okay here. And and I was thinking about nuts, and so we there's so many amazing things that we can make with nuts, different types of cheeses and sauces that are so wonderful but not if you have a nut allergy. And so even if it's vegan and the dish itself doesn't have nuts in it, so you, you want to order something and and there's definitely no nuts in it, but they're making it in the same kitchen as the stuff that has nuts and
1: potentially on the yeah. same equipment
0: right yeah
1: and then just like... and there are there are people that are allergic to airborne yes. particles and that's so i i have a friend who's got severe you know, the, the full-on extreme peanut mm-hmm. allergy and she can detect peanuts in the next room Wow! It, like i start watering and she detects whatever oh, sensation gosh. it is on her face yeah uh, she's she's Been in hospital, you know, nearly died six times or something, Mm. and people will still argue with her that you know peanuts because she avoids nuts as well, and quite often they're manufactured, you know, and packaged together in the same sort of factory setting. That she's like, no nuts, and then they're arguing with her what's a nut and what isn't a nut, and peanuts are not technically a nut; they're a legume, and she's like, will you just not believe me, please? Yeah, (laughs) just just do it without nuts. (laughs) It it is dangerous and. People also, like the general public would if their understanding is of allergens can be deadly, then they' just think that someone has an epipen by mm-hmm. like an injector, and that will save them. but sometimes people have had three or four of them, and they've still died oh. you know, and there's different for children, and that is not a it's like having a wet floor floor sign, but leaving the floor like icy and wet and you know soapy and oily, <laughs> yeah. and then expecting people not to fall over just because you put the sign there, and that's a bit like a disclaimer. You put the sign there. They know there's a risk. You haven't told them what the risk is, how big it is, how mm-hmm. likely, how much contamination in a in terms of um allergies. But and quite often there's a lot of greenwashing that. Oh, we prepared the mm-hmm. vegan option separate to meat. And you're like, Do you prepare it separately to milk? Like. right? <laughs> or do you just cook it in the same fat as your cheesy poppers, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Mm. And they're like, what do you mean? Isn't this fine? (laughs) I think a lot of vegans don't understand when something says may contain, they think, oh, that's just a legal thing. And you're like, no, it may contain at the beginning of the batch a significant amount of animal product. So if you do have a sensitivity, Mm. you need to really notice it. But a lot of, especially in the um, US, they've started adding allergens to products like sesame Mm -hmm. to avoid having to have this allergy risk assessment and see what allergens so they've just a lot of breads for example are produced in places where they'll have sesame instead of separating it out and explaining and putting the allergy may contain information on the packaging they've just added it as a ingredient it's such now i it's it's upsetting isn't it it's like yeah corporate corruption there like
0: as an american (laughs) I am not surprised that um the government and the food industry is taking the easy way out. Not surprised at all. Ashamed, but not surprised. And that is that's terrible because the way that we eat here in this country people definitely have allergies and whether they develop them because their bodies are so bad off by the standard american diet or they were born with them but, there are several like...
1: theories about that that, that that first of all you might have more gluten so specific to the gluten you mm-hmm. might have more gluten in your grains because they've been modified yeah um but it might also be that you've got a higher threshold like you're allowed to get away with a residue that's higher than other countries mm-hmm. like if you get to italy par- apparently this is what i've heard from other People who have this because I I don't have it. I do I have gone gluten free a few times and it's made me feel better. But it's probably been like a fungal infection or something else. You know, like a uh, relevant like um the candida diet for example. I tried that and was like oh, it seems to have sorted whatever it was. <laughs> but that's so that that's why I was looking at like gluten free friendly things. And I've obviously got a special interest in this as well. But apparently, if you get to Italy, people who've got a, a condition in the States and are injured every time they get glutened in apparently if they go somewhere else where the bread is fermented more slowly and okay. more na- more naturally, let's say mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than increase the <laughs> process, I speed up the process, then it they don't feel the same. So it's still got gluten in it. Yeah. It's just it's been fermented properly as bread as bread is intended. Yeah. And I just find that fascinating. But one thing I've noticed inspecting restaurants for food safety without before the food inclusivity mm-hmm. thing, evol evolution. Um like American franchises will disinfect food like lettuce and tomatoes and onions. And then in the UK, they sort of don't do that. They have different they don't use chlorine, they use like something that you can eat <laughs> if there was a residue. <laughs> and it's not the it's not done in the venue. It's done By the manufacturer or it's Mm. not done it's not done in batches it's done you know separately or they try and prepare it in a different way so that you you peel it in a different place and then you sterilize and then you and then Mm. no disinfect sorry and then you have the bulb at least that's not individually disinfected Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I just couldn't wrap my head around it and then I moved to Denmark and they just use water or they don't clean it at all (laughs) and it's the food chain it doesn't have like animal on it like Mm -hmm. the the same in the same way so the whole food system including the fertilizers and everything like that is very different in the states compared to denmark and denmark actually still has organic so if i had a this you'll find this interesting it's not a vegan thing but it's a very interesting thing that a cucumber in denmark you can get a cucumber that has the danish flag so you know it's danish oh they do it in britain as well like so you've got British-grown, whatever. Mm -hmm. But if you get a Danish flag cucumber and then you get a Spanish organic cucumber, the residue in the organic Spanish cucumber might might still be there because it's uh, like common for it to have non-organic cucumbers. It's really hard (laughs) to get organic in Spain because of the predominance of everything else. Mm. Whereas in Denmark, the, the Danish one's better than the organic Spanish one. Wow. So if you get an organic, Spanish, if you get an organic Danish one, it's like this huge guarantee, superior level of organic compared to other countries because they don't have any GMO or they don't have any. Oh, no. Yeah, they've got advanced mm. amount of, and I think there's a preference from the society for organic, and mm. no, like the standard of living in the taxes here is like still boggles my mind. I've lived here ten years, still <laughs> still sweat at the taxes, but people buy organic so make sure you've got a red flag <laughs> don't pay the extra for organic just stick with the danish right it's not it's so amazing Is things like apples are allowed to be like sprayed with metals and stuff in some parts of europe and because they, they have the european union agreement it's allowed to be sold all in europe but denmark mm-hmm. has for domestic companies have higher standards mm-hmm. so the food here is really uh, let's say less contaminated with the the chemicals than yeah than the rest of Europe
0: even huh yeah uh, apples here they they keep the, a lot of them in in cold storage New York State is a big apple growing con- um area of the country and Washington State as well and buying apples at the grocery store like if you're just buying a conventional apple like sometimes they can taste really gross because they look beautiful because they've been covered in this wax and you know Which might not shiny... be vegan. right but when you find out like they've probably been in cold storage since last season so it's months this apple is just like degrading inside but it still looks gorgeous on the outside so many people don't know that
1: yeah and they pick they pick the fruit when it's not ripe yet yeah and then they like chemically or with temperatures and things, ripen it when it's just about to be sold. Mm-hmm. So you're actually, you might be thinking you're not eating a green banana, but you're actually eating a green banana. So it doesn't have the same nutritional value. Yeah, I, I can't. So I'm I'm at the restaurant and hotel end, probably because I can't take notes, <laughs> knowing the manufacturing <laughs> capabilities or health and safety sense. issues. Yeah, <laughs> They do a lot with sterilizing and um, disinfecting and uh, even milk. It's got a lot of pussing it. Like Mm -hmm. it has a lot of bacteria in it, yeah, and hormones and antibiotics. They just they just nuke it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And there's it's dead dead pus. Is that
0: better? It's dead pus. (laughs) And that's just accepted, you know. Like even before I went vegetarian, I knew that there was a percentage of pus in milk which means it was in cheese. So like I said, I wasn't, you know, downing glasses of milk, but I sure ate the hell out of some cheese. It, it's, it's like, why do we accept that?
1: Someone was upset. It was it was a social media post, and they were upset about Parmesan because mm-hmm. it's got, like, ground-up calf in it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the enzymes are from, they basically just dry the stomach lining and stick that in. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've not really thought about it, but I knew it wasn't vegetarian. Mm-hmm. But I do know a lot of vegetarians that just eat cheese and they don't think about right. the details, right? So they're just vegetarian. Yep. I'd say they're just like vegan have a vegan diet, they're a vegetarian diet. Mm-hmm. And it's usually because they can't stand the texture, they have an aversion to meat. Yeah. Or they're just being brought up vegetarian, so it's what they're used to, which probably is what should happen to people with vegan. It should just be how we're brought up in the future and everyone's used to it. But the I think it was a typical eater. It might have been a vegetarian. They didn't realise they thought the enzymes were harvested from calves, mm. but then like manufactured somehow or <laughs> they were using the same enzymes ever and over. And enzymes are just like the juices. So it's not, you're like, you still have to kill the animal. Oh yeah, I knew that, but I didn't realize I was actually eating baby cow. And you're like, why is he eating baby cow worse than eating adult cow? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I didn't get their logic at all, but they, they did do a really good picture of like mass produced Parmesan. And it did, it, with what they were saying i was a bit like Ugh. yeah you're right <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely gross
0: the the mental gymnastics that we will do to justify something that we're doing is incredible <laughs> i don't know how else to to describe that but it is incredible what we are capable of to distance ourselves from taking any responsibility for certain things or being part of something that makes us very uncomfortable
1: i do have to sympathize a bit though well, maybe I'm getting less and less as I age or <laughs> as time goes on. <laughs> but when I first became vegan, I think the, the thing I missed most, you know, people always ask you that, like, did you mm-hmm. miss bacon or did you miss cheese? I probably did miss cheese because I was addicted to cheese. It took yeah. <laughs> I did withdraw when I became vegan. It took a few months with like skin problems and then I suddenly lost a lot of weight, surprisingly. <laughs> which was which was in a good way. Like you could tell by the my figure that I was I'd lost some good weight there. Um but it is I actually miss gelatine. It's such a versatile product, and it's in everything. And but if you see, if I see gelatine in a factory, for example, it's either powder or like a clear gel thing, Mm -hmm. like hard. So it's it's so far removed from the animal. But then if you had, say, like cigarettes, you had to put a warning on bacon, Mm -hmm. and just see which part of the animal this is. You're eating a pig ass. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Or um, like gelatine, it's like boiled tubes and things. Mm-hmm. It's all the like, all the gross bits. And I'm like, yeah, but the thing you put in the food, like if you were making it at home, you'd just add this clear. Clear. Right. <laughs> like mm-hmm. you'd have to circ this piece of plastic thing. <laughs> or you'd have to put some powder in. Yeah. And then watch it go more solid. Mm-hmm. So things like cheesecake, I was like, oh yeah, it's probably got gelatine in. Oh, I wish it didn't have gelatine <laughs> But now I have a favourite place to go and it's just because they have such good cheesecake. It's like Ooh, the nice. cheesecake. Like the cheesecake is better than what I remember of normal cheesecake. Mm. Oh, that's
0: the best. <laughs> so we have something in common, and we'll just quickly talk about this. But we both love Toastmasters.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and yep. to- go ahead. It was actually my my book mentor, um, Jerry Roberts. He's a like famous book mentor, but he's also a really good public speaker. Mm-hmm. He's like, you have to go into- if you want to be an author. You have to go. You have to go there. <laughs> so I did. And it was, it was in the pandemic. Nice. So it was only 2020 and it was just down the road and it's so nice. Mm-hmm. It's so amazing. I don't have a, I don't have a fear of public speaking. I just wanted to be better. I thought it was a bit crap. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: I definitely learned something. It has definitely helped me, you know, this podcast is the result of Toastmasters project, but also I wanted so badly to be a public speaker, but was terrified. And this has given me going to Toastmasters and just like you, my club's like practically down the street. I love it so much. And it has my favorite thing, aside from how alive I feel when I do it, is that it has allowed me this different way of activism. So I'm better prepared to have conversations and uh, both off the cuff and kind of planned ones and and it's just given me an opportunity to to see what I'm capable of as far as getting my message out there to anyone, one activist you know thinking about how they could be more effective join Toastmasters.
1: <laughs> I think it's also it's like therapy or personal development or something because yeah. I know I was I was really drawn to the improv which mm-hmm. is sort of like it's a bit thrilling. I oh, that's I love it. I, it's my favorite I like. part. <laughs> and there are people that do improv for like therapy for people mm-hmm. who are anxious or you know, it helps the emotions because you do something that you can't plan. It's like right. especially because I joined during the pandemic, it was really a lot of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I it also highlighted my weaknesses. Like I can't stand planning a really long speech or like mm-hmm. a presentation with data and And in my field, that's unusual because most people are quite detail orientated and they have a lot of academic background. I'm not Mm. an academic. I have credentials. But this like just speaking and showing up and like we like you and I talked about Toastmasters and then we suddenly know each other really deeply (laughs) because we know the process (laughs) and there's a lot of people that need support going there. And it's sort of made me realize that liking public speaking is actually quite a a good strength and it's mm-hmm. powerful in a lot of ways because it you know the vegan movement's not been loud enough that's why right. there's a few and you know trying to counteract someone's argument for eating meat is a bit like arguing with a crazy person it's <laughs> it's not necessarily logical so you have to yeah. think of other oh, emotional arguments rather than the direct well you did have to kill the animal oh no but I didn't kill it but well he outsourced the killing part <laughs> So I think um, it sort of brought me confidence that I was already good enough, mm-hmm. whereas I didn't know I was good enough before. Yeah, I guess that was the difference. But I think if you if you do write a book, so I'm encouraging you to. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a, like speaking about the book is definitely a good way to get your message out there mm-hmm. and have a lot of fun. Yeah. Awesome,
0: Heather. This has been amazing. So informative. I know that. Um, I think any listener will get something out of this, but absolutely people who have allergies or those who run restaurant or kitchen or hotel where they can really start to hone in on how they can help more people than not and how they can, can be more inclusive and, and bring in, you know, for them more business too. Uh, So thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom. I've got one more question for you. Tell me about your favorite hummus.
1: It's actually from the time my friend took me to the supermarket, and it's a hummus I'd never tried before, and it's called yellow split pea hummus. So mm. it's not chickpeas; it's like smaller yellow peas. Yeah, and it's just Moorish. Yeah, I think it had a little bit of curry in it. But even my, like my auntie and uncle were there. They're in their seventies. They were like, "What's this hummus?" <laughs> <laughs> but it was the first like event. It was about twenty people there. It's the first event I'd done fully vegan, and no one, no one, no one was. But, like surprised or bothered by the vegan Mm. it's like buffet style but it's quite impressive stuff nice (laughs) everyone bonds over hummus even the kids and because it was a kids party like my relatives were there but like my my sister's kids and I had a relative uh a old friend from Australia who had had her kids So it's quite a big busy chaotic party Mm -hmm. but kids kids also like (laughs) iller split pea hummus that's pretty,
0: that's pretty impressive. <laughs> I think as a kid, any, any food you can dip something into uh, is, is exciting. And then, and then yeah, like a yellow split pea hummus, I imagine is like a nice bright yellow. And so it's visually mm. interesting too.
1: Yeah. And if you have several types of hummus, the kids will eat more hummus because right. they're trying each color. Don't, <laughs> don't put beetroot in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Beautiful as it would look wouldn't <laughs> and not
1: too much chili because some that's also a dietary preference for people yeah apparently apparently in finland uh, there's more people allergic to chilies and carrots but i think it's oh. just because they're better at investigating allergies they're, they're like it's like their specialism Ah, huh,
0: interesting <laughs> well it sounds like we could talk about this all night but <laughs> again thank you heather so much this has been really wonderful
1: it's been wonderful to be here
0: Welcome back. Heather shared so many eye-opening facts, this episode definitely deserves another listen. I love the work Heather is doing to bring about change and more inclusivity in the hospitality sphere. Eating together is such a natural human event. Everyone should be able to take a seat at the table and know they are safe from food and or contaminants that have the ability to hurt them or worse. To connect with Heather, visit her website, heatherlandex.com. There's also a link in the show notes right to her free resources page as well. And if you're interested in picking up her book, Inclusive, the new exclusive, How the Food Service Industry Can Stop Leaving Money on the Table, you'll find that link in the show notes as well. Follow Heather on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Heather Landex, and connect with her on LinkedIn. That link also in the show notes. This is it, the final episode of season three. I'll be back a bit later in the year with an exciting season four. I would like to take a moment and thank all of my guests this season. What an honor it is to use my platform to share your stories, your missions, your dreams with my listeners. I continue to learn and grow as an interviewer, a vegan, and a person. Thank you to my listeners for, without you, these episodes and messages go unheard. Some of the things we talk about on Did You Bring the Hummus absolutely break your heart. But there's a lot of hope here, too. And you're here for all of it, and I thank you from the bottom of my heart for that. These stories are of everyday people leading with their hearts for a better tomorrow. While I take some time to work on some things and then begin recording new episodes for season four, I invite you to listen back to episodes you missed or those you loved. You never know when, what new inspiration you might find. I'd also love a message from you. Tell me what you love most about Did You Bring the Hummus. What would you like to hear more of or less of? Where can I get better? Email me at didyoubringthehummus at gmail.com or DM me at on Instagram and let me know. As always, if you're a vegan or you know a vegan who'd be a great fit for the podcast, follow the Be A Guest link in the show notes, fill out the quiz, and I'll be in touch. I hope you found this episode helpful and inspiring. Please subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you're loving it, Please give Did You Bring the Hummus a five-star rating and leave a review. It's an easy way to keep supporting the show. Be sure to share these episodes with your friends. If you are finding something good here, they will too. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Did You Bring the Hummus, and visit my website DidYouBringTheHummus.com for more information about me, updates on what I'm working on, new podcast episodes, and all things vegan. Finally, I would love to hear from you. What do you need help with? Is there a topic you want to hear covered on a future episode? DM me on Instagram or send me an email. Did you bring the hummus at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.